You have reached The Local Maximum, episode 207. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, you have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, this is Darren, and I am here with returning uh, tri- triumphantly. Can you say triumphantly? <laughs> well, I'm back. Yes. Max is back. I Well... I guess you'd call it triumphantly. That was a pretty good intro. I think we could do a little bit with a little bit more excitement, a little bit more energy. <laughs> Come on. No, I have to do this for myself. I need to keep high energy. But uh, yes, I am back. I've been through some pretty intense surgery, some pretty uh, pretty okay recovery, and, um, and New Year's. I, I need a haircut, but uh, but I am back. So... Uh, that is that is good to you. As you can see, I'm healthy. Um, I am mobile. Uh, that was never going to be a problem. But like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to do a little dance and stuff. But be assured, I can. So, so, so no, no. Uh, I, I guess we're not on the couch, so you can't jump up off the couch. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, m- morning talk show style. Yeah, no, I can. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do uh, exercises or whatever. They they get the point. But but you're 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 doing well, uh, yeah. and, and and we burned through the entire backlog of uh, of, of uh, oh. interviews that you you stacked up before that happened. But, we we've uh, we've burned through the entire backlog and more. And yes, that was me doing the solo show last week, which I think came out okay, all things considering. You know, but I was in uh, Connecticut because you know, considering everything going on with me, uh, unfortunately, my grandmother passed away right as I was recovering from the surgery. So I went into Connecticut for that, for the funeral. And it's like, end that one thing and then start the other thing without even missing a beat where it was like, um, it's almost like everyone forgot what I was going through because then we had this other thing to go through, which was a very big deal because, you know, she's been with us a long time and I, I would go over there a lot. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a big deal. And it's been kind of, um, um, I feel like every few weeks it's something else. Yeah, these days. well, it's, it, that's certainly never easy, and and it it does feel a little bit like we're we're jumping from crisis to crisis, uh, e- even without the personal stuff that you know just the last two years has felt like that. Um, right, and, and, right. And that that piles on top of it. But right, but uh, you know we're 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 here to 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 bring a, a, a little uh, maybe a little levity in today, and and some I think knowledge. so. I think so. But before we do, I'll. I'll dedicate today's episode uh, to my grandmother, who was Dorothy Marks, born Dorothy Gershon. And I just want to show this this really cool photo that I found. So I'm kind of like the family archivist. And so I, fa- I, I, you know, one thing you don't want to do when it's someone's funeral and they're 92 years old. Uh, and this was a problem that, that we started to notice is you don't want to have all the pictures of them from ages, you know, 80, 87 and up. You know, which is what happens a lot. So it's like, I want to keep old photos of them in their prime. Yeah. In their prime. Or we had a lot of shots with my, my, my grandmother, my grand grandfather, when they passed away of maybe not, you know, maybe they were older, but still like 10, 15 years ago when they were like, you know, healthy and they were healthy into old age. But this is a really cool one that I found. This is what the New York post looked like in, uh, March, 1947, uh, I can see maybe we could put it up on the screen there. So for those of you who are watching on on video, uh, but uh, this is my grandmother right here, second from the uh, second from the the left, second from the left, um, and this is at Queens College. She was first year at Queens College that year, so that was uh, pretty cool. And uh, you know, it's it's weird because the bottom picture looks like normal kind of teenagers, and the top picture is like they are. Figuring out how to divide up Germany, I think, apparently. So um, the New York Post must have been so different back then. See, it's 10 cents. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. And then I episode 199, we did like, you know, how AI can be used to color and upscale photos. So I put it through a few filters, and I ended up with this picture uh, just from that little clip of newspaper. So, so, which is impressive funny. because yeah. uh, even today, the quality of, of images in newspapers is not phenomenal because of the, the 
techniques they use yeah. for the actual You could see printing. the little do- holes and dots. I wonder if an algorithm can be written that fixes the, the dots oh, situation. I, I, I would imagine there could yeah. be. but It's probably not even need but, but AI. The, the, yeah, the, t- the tool you used probably yeah. wasn't uh, specifically targeting that yeah. yet. Yeah. It's, it kind of looks like my mom. It's funny. <laughs> but uh, no, it's very good. I, it's so weird because it's like... Um, I don't know if that's exactly right because they're filling in the gap. So is that really you is kind of a, I, I thought would be, is, is kind of an interesting question. Well, not, but, not the topic that we're talking about today, but yeah. uh, uh, human memory, I'm led to believe does not work uh, that dissimilarly that, right. uh, you know, when we, we go back and remember things we're well, and at a more fundamental level, human eyesight as well, that, that our brains uh, when they're capturing an image, you know, not just co- filling in our, our literal blind spot, but, uh, that that our brains are, are are filling in a lot of the gaps to to create a a smoother and more complete image in our minds. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I th- that would actually be an interesting show. Um, I don't know a whole lot about how the brain works. I know a, b- a lot about how machine learning works, and I know where it's taken inspiration from what neuroscientists tell us how the brain might works, but how the brain might work, but I don't know if that's how the brain actually works. Yeah, well, so. that, that, that's a classic, right. classic uh, debate is, you know, will, will artificial intelligence be largely mimicking human intelligence in the way that, that biological brains work, or is it going to be its own completely different thing because it's more efficient to not attempt to in, in the digital and in, in Silicon replicate biological processes. Yeah. I think that, um, I think it would have to be some kind of a, a hybrid where, you know, if you imagine you had your brain, but you could also have a photographic memory of a lot of the stuff that's happened to you, you'd be much more powerful uh, in that sense. But you also want to have a fuzzy memory of a lot of things, too, uh, which are which has helpful in other ways. It's helpful in terms of making analogies, which... Is Does one of the base which to one of our, our early topics? Yeah, uh, yeah, fitting and underfitting. Well, no, but just finding analogies. I, I think um, I'm, I'm I'm more thinking about. I mean, yes, it's all related, but I'm I'm more thinking about the one where how like uh, analogies is the um, making analogies is kind of the foundation of scientific knowledge. Of even though it's not science to say well. A is to B, so C, as C is to Z, D, and therefore um, this is more likely to be true. I mean, that's not necessarily that's, a science that's not experiment. Scientific proof, but that's where you get hypotheses from. That's the basic, yeah. That's and and actually, data is just a, a large version of that. It's it's essentially that that's kind of a building block of scientific data. Is is kind of the way I look at it. Cool. Well, um, so so. So before, so we have two topics today. One is lighter uh, and more like maybe a little bit political, but not too political. And the other is more statistical. We're talking about Bayesian priors later. Bayesian priors are very interesting things. Uh, yeah. So so one current eventsy and and one evergreen. Okay. So why don't we start with the current eventsy one um, um, first because I feel like that has a wider audience. And then uh, please stay for the prior stuff because <laughs> you never know what could happen when Aaron and I. Uh, take video and audio in the middle of the night. So let's try it. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so the first, uh, item here, uh, our, 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 our good friend, uh, John Stewart is, is back in the news. John um, Stewart daily show. Uh, I, I can't remember. I, did you used to watch that? Previously. I, 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 there was a period where I did actually watch the daily show regularly. Um, and, and I knew he was coming back with, with a show. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if we mentioned it on, on an episode previously, but, uh, I, I believe it's the problem with John Stewart. The problem uh, with John Stewart. Very I, important where you place the punctuation. The com- the yeah, yeah, that's there. his. That was his. That's his um, shtick. That was his thing. I, I, I feel like by 2015, when he retired from the Daily Show, I was already not watching anymore. Hmm. But I, I do remember watching some of the early Trevor Noah episodes and and giving up. So hmm. I, I hadn't completely fallen off uh, b- before before he left. But but I, I probably wasn't watching it as much. Yeah, and and it's tough to judge when when did you? I can't remember when I stopped actually watching like a DVR episode and just watch clips because um, that's that's very much how I consume any sort of of late night uh, television right now. Is, right. is someone sends me a clip that says, "Oh, this is worth watching." I don't 
I don't sit down and actually watch an episode of SNL or, or the daily show. Or yeah. Anything like yeah. I've done it a little bit. Well, not, yeah. Only certain shows. It's, I'm it's not going to say which ones. It's uh, show. <laughs> I'm not going to say which ones. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, um, he, he got into a thing where it was like, yeah, John, the modern world is a lot different than it was a few years ago uh, with his Harry Potter joke. Uh, do you want me to go into what happened and then you could react? Or sure. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I, I think this, so, so we, we mentioned he has a show, which I think is on Apple television. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think this particular incident happened on his podcast, which I don't know if it's, if it's partnered with the show or if it's its yeah. own thing, but, but both of them have kind of, they, they've, they've both, he has come back into the media landscape with right. both of those roughly at the same time here. Well, let's, I mean, to late, make a long story short, he was just, he was joking around. You could get this on YouTube with some other comedians about how uh, he didn't even say that uh, Harry Potter is anti-Semitic. He just said like, oh, the, uh, the guys who work at the banks are, are Jews in, the, uh, in Harry Potter. And, you know, I, I, by the way, I, I went to the ride a few months ago when I was in, um, in, uh, in, in, in Universal Studios. The ride takes place at the bank. The bank is the ride. Oh. You're actually going down into the into the depths of the of the of the Harry Potter bank. Um okay, what I don't really I you know, it was just a, it was just a joke. It's not really, you know, you could see like a few tropes in there that 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 might be connected to the way the goblins at the bank are 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 used, but he was just joking around with that. He w- he was not trying to be serious. And then a month later, Newsweek says <laughs> John Stewart accuses Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling of being anti-Semitic, which is just the worst game of telephone I've ever played. Uh, but um, I also think it kind of speaks to what crazy times we're living in. And I don't know if we can get back to the old days where you could just kind of joke about something and then people don't take it seriously. But he had to come out in a video and say unequivocally, no, that is not what I meant. I was just joking around. I don't want anyone canceled. I don't want any, I don't want anyone censored. I don't want, and then he kind of blamed it on, and you were a little more perceptive there because I was like, ha ha, you know, uh, John Stewart's right when he came back the second time. But then, then, I think you were more perceptive because he blamed it on Newsweek's yeah, business model. He, he, he said, I, I think his words were something effective, you know, and, and he, he did the, the, the John Stewart thing where he like, it, it doesn't work so much on a zoom call, which, which is, I think what the, what it was, but right. you know, where, where he, he stops and he turns to the camera and, and, and he's like, okay, you know, Newsweek, I'm talking to you now, not to the audience. Newsweek, right. your business model is arson. Right. And, and I, I think his little words were, were you know, and, and not the good kind of arson, um, which, which is a whole other interesting thing that I'm not going to touch I miss on, his but. sense. I miss his sense of humor, though. I feel like there's no one on TV that's like that has any timing. I don't know. I don't understand why you could hire these people, pay them millions of dollars. And, and I, I actually see Jon Stewart agree with him or not. I'm like, that guy has timing. The other guys don't. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so, so. Regarding Newsweek, uh, I, yeah. I, he he is making a statement there, which I think is correct that their business model is is uh, damaging deeply. Um, however, uh, there there are two things that go along with that. One, uh, this is not unique to Newsweek. That is also right. the New York Times business model, and any journalist uh, outlet right now is that they're they're whoring for clicks uh, and and they're trying to take the most incendiary take on anything they can. Um, uh, I. Didn't realize when that came out of my mouth that arson, arson and incendiary, uh, but but they go hand in hand. Oh, uh, and very and, good. Yeah, it's well it's, done, sir. <laughs> yeah, it, the, and 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 it's it's not entirely their fault either because if they don't do it, it's a race to the bottom. Somebody else will, and they're going to get all. They're going to scoop them out of the market. Uh, I, I also I would have said it's it's just the business model, the whole business model today. But I also think you have to you can't ignore like societal impulses to, to choose a certain business model. And I, I, I think that's a big part of it too. I mean, it, why am I reminded of this is something that happened five years ago when this was all kicking off when some, when there was this big freak out that the Ku Klux Klan were in someone's university. And then it turned out to be like an over uh, head projector with, with, uh, with a, a sheet, over, a sheet it. over it. Right. Um, and, and um, it, it just, it feels like, uh, it feels like that's that's the world now, and 
yes, it's it's trolling for clicks, but it's like, okay, what have the people decided to click on? What have the people in those companies decided to focus on? Um, and and it's, it all kind of fits together in like, you know, <laughs> we're in a foul social mood right now. That uh, it really sucks. I, you know, I feel like things do change over time. We're not going to be in this forever, but it could be quite a while. Well, so so the other thing that that I think is important about what he said there, um, and and maybe more important because, uh, from my perspective, the 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 statement that uh, news media is is in a uh, cannibal a a a business model that is cannibalistic to uh, the the propagation of truth. Uh, is is old news at this point, yeah. um, but uh, he was setting this up as a false dichotomy because on the one hand he was saying there is no way that a rational person could have seen that video of me saying those things to the two other people on my podcast and come away thinking that I was accusing J.K. Rowling of being anti-Semitic. Yeah, and then and then he was saying and and be, you know that is be, because that is true that 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 causes this other thing I'm saying about Newsweek to be true, that, that A leads to B. Uh, and, and I think uh, the, the, the flaw there is that uh, he's wrong about the first part, but that doesn't change the fact that the second part is true. I think that... Uh, How is he wrong about the first I, part? Because it seems to me that if, if we lived in a world of reasonable people... I, I think, well, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Because that's, that's a fatal flaw as well. We do not right. live in a world of reasonable people. No, but a, and, lot, of, a lot of the legal uh, a lot of our legal system and a lot of our you know um not just our legal system but also like our conventions are based on like would a reasonable person think this is like if you're talking about I, I, harassment in the workplace i think we example. have a big problem there because yeah. uh i yeah Re, the the reasonable man or reasonable person is a legal term of art, um, but then also we have a jury of our peers, and I would say that our peers are not reasonable people, um, or at least at least I the mean, way that juries are formed today. Uh, yeah, but but the what, best what, we've got. what I what I was what I'm getting at is uh, how can he not expect that people are going to see the words, listen to the words coming out of his mouth, and take them at face value. Uh, and then run with that. Like, wh where has he been for the last five years? But maybe he was just like uh, fooling around on his podcast, which is what we do sometimes. Why? Why can't you fool around on your podcast? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I was going to say that the, yeah. you know, the 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 bit was funny. I, I was amused yeah. by it. And 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 if it had been like a stand up bit, you know, in front of a brick wall at some comedy club, I, I it would not be out of out of place there. I think it would. I think it would have worked well there. Right. Um. And and if he'd done that. Uh, I would have also expected that somebody on Twitter uh, would, would would pick it up and say John Stewart was making jokes about how J.K. Rowling was anti-Semitic at the Comedy Cellar last night, and then I would also expect someone like Newsweek uh, to to pick it up and and run with it because that's how the media works now, and it has been for years. And he's 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 out of the loop. I think this also combines with the fact that uh, he he's it struck me as a huge disconnect that. He was 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 saying, you know, how how could you take this seriously? You know, I'm just a comedian, funny man, and he, <laughs> he used to do that back in the day too. How can he, he not remember out. back yeah. in the in the early 2000s when he was the primary source of news, not for the majority of 20 to 30 somethings, but for a large minority? I'm you know talking uh, 20 30 percent of of 20 to 30 somethings a. Uh, demographic that is extremely active on also, social media and millennials which are teens of time. Uh, yeah that uh, they were getting their news from the daily show and, and and i i think we've talked before about you know comedians hiding behind that shield of well i don't have to be held to the the standards of journalistic integrity because what i'm doing here is not journalism it's entertainment uh but you you can't actual also, journalists do that too by well the way. <laughs> the, 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 and they're legal documents, which there there is that 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 line between uh, you know they they talk about it on Fox all the time, but it's on all the networks now. You know what is a news program and what is news commentary, and they are not held to the same standard and expectations. Hmm. Um, but I, I, I what what are the standards and expectations we have here on the local maximum? Uh, we whatever they are, I intend to break them with abandon. Yeah, only the highest standards and expectations here. I, I, I think we suffer from the unwritten rule, which is I can't break the rules if they haven't been written down. Yeah, no, we have no rules. It's great. But we but, try to be, um, or I, we, we try to be 
at least like trustworthy. I mean, I don't know. We don't have the, the beauty is we don't need clicks and we don't need, um, you know, we don't have, we, we don't have someone breathing down our necks saying you have to do X, Y, and Z, uh, to get your funding. So we could just say what we want, which in one case for some people could be very dangerous, but <laughs> also for us, like, okay, I want to be, um, uh, at, at least, I hope people understand when I'm kidding around and when I'm serious. Um, we do have a little bit of both of that here. Uh, but I feel like we have a very yeah. smart well, audience. They understand. But but you have to be prepared for people to take that out of context. Sure. And, it and, and not get and, and, and not be shocked when it happens. You can be upset yeah. because uh, it, it can often be done out of ignorance. Uh, it, it can also be done maliciously. Uh, and and. Yeah, you, you can be upset about. We're both not big of those. enough for that yet, but one day when we hit it big, but, it's going to be a problem. But you can't be surprised. Yeah, um, and and yeah. So uh, I I I didn't see that. You know, I, I haven't watched his show or, or listened to his podcast, so I didn't see that until it, it, it popped up in in the news last week when when the the outrage was starting to bubble. Um, although when I watched it, I don't think I realized that that it was like a. a uh, a, a spark point for this. I, I mm. thought I, I, I listened. I thought, Oh, that, that, that's, that's kind of funny. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, the, and then I saw that he had an apology to it, which, which that gets into a whole nother thing about, you know, does, does apologizing actually help or does it make things worse? Uh, well, he wasn't, apo- well, you know, he, he wasn't, he was clarifying. That, right. I, yeah. I, I, I feel like I it works better. Technically an apology. Cause he wasn't apologizing to the mob for, if, if anything, he was apologizing to JK Rowling. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, who, which is actually who, who not a popular also, thing to do. Uh, now. Yeah, now kind of a toxic figure to be uh, entangling which, yourself with for other reasons. It's totally unjustified, but uh, yes. But but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's all nuts. Uh, I'll, I'll say so. The the one other thing that I I I I don't even remember how I ended up at that. But go on, I, do your I, rant. I watched the clip. I know. Uh, look, and then thanks to the the YouTube al- YouTube algorithm. Uh, so thanks Google. Don't be evil. Uh, they showed me other clips you might be interested in, and and, and it was a clip from his show. Um, and uh, yeah, John uh, John Stewart is is as wrong about guns uh, today as he was uh, when he was on the air. Uh, fractally wrong from 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 A to Z in that piece, and that that really got my goat. Uh, and I am not going to hijack your show to dissect that piece. Okay, uh, but, but but I'll, I'll leave let it, it at be that. known. Let it be known, John Stewart is wrong on on guns. No, he's wrong on a lot of things, but sometimes he makes his case in such a way that you're like, ah, it's going to be a tough one yeah. to. Well, uh, there's there's a little you know bit because of, he's um, very good at saying, oh, look at how funny and hypocritical this is. Even if even if you agree with the other side, it's like it's 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 very disarming. There, it's very, there's it's, a little bit of of, of uh, Gelman amnesia going on there because yeah. when it's a topic that that you know a lot about and you can see where he's playing fast and loose and 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 you know, doing things that, that you could only get away with on a comedy show. Um, and, and it's, it's less funny to you then. Uh, but when I'm not an expert in the field, uh, I'm, it's much easier to get me to go along with the laughs and think, right. well, that's, that's hilarious. He's, he's pointing out the hypocrisy in the system. Right, right, right. Do you remember there was a show when we were in college that came out right after his with a tough crowd with Colin Quinn? I, I don't think I ever watched it, but I, I do remember hearing about it. So there was there are actually two comedians on that that are now dead. Uh, um, Patrice O'Neill and there was one other. Ah, oh, shoot. Let's see. Tough, tough crowd with Colin K- Quinn cast, and they're not dead because they're old. Like, <laughs> like died died young. I know. I don't. I don't say these things very. Um, was it uh, Greg Giraldo? Right, they both died around 2010. And that was actually a very good show. And that was a show that had comedians from both sides of the political aisle that was very, um, and they were very pointed at each other. And But they were also funny at it. It was kind of like the last time, uh, I don't know, people could just, people said the most ridiculous things on there. And it eventually got canceled by by Comedy Central because they're like, we don't do this anymore. Um, so, uh I, that's that's one of the things that I remember that I, I if I remember correctly like I think it was a popular show but it just goes to show how they really went in a different direction with the political commentary that was I think that was a very like pro free speech show that um, even back then they were starting to turn the night but it wasn't like oh we're being censored well, yeah, and, it was like comedy central is just one outlet I'd say comedy was, central's format has, has yeah. evolved certainly yeah. in the oh god what was is it 15 years yeah, yeah. Since, years. since we've uh, we've been in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Tough Crowd's been out, been gone for 15 years. Yeah. Um, and John Stewart's been gone for seven or six and a half. Wow. So that's a lot of time that uh, John Stewart has been away. Um, and uh, yeah, gone are the days of um, Stephen Colbert doing Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly isn't even there anymore, so I don't know what he would do. Now, good thing he, he jumped out of that character. But uh, Yeah, that, that, is, that is another late show that I have not no. watched anything from in no interest. years. I have no interest. Anyway, so... We are. That's, that's not true. I, I yeah. did watch his uh, Lord of the Rings 20th anniversary uh, uh, rap clip, oh, which, wow. which I thought I thought was pretty good. Uh, say what you will about Stephen Colbert, but he 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 does love him some Tolkien. Speaking of 20th anniversary of movies, we're going to have to do a uh, a commentary in oh, a few months oh no. <laughs> uh, of the movie we made in high school that will be uh, uh, upcoming. Um, all right, so why don't we shift gears a little bit and start talking about something. Very serious, very scientific, very statistical. You ready? All right. Hit I don't me know. with it. I don't know why I'm making a fist. I'm like, okay, time to get in a different mood. Um, okay, because, you know, I haven't talked about Bayesian inference in a while, and I've, I've got this whiteboard here, and I'm hoping to uh, – I don't think I've announced this yet, but I'm hoping to do some lectures online and put them out for free. And that's kind of stuff that we can't really do here in the local maximum because it's – I can explain concepts a little bit, and we can kind of have fun with them. But um, and sometimes the concept is related to the to the news item. I don't know if it is going to be today, but I really can't get into it and give people a really deep understanding of it unless I get up on the whiteboard. So hopefully we'll do that in it's, a little it's bit. It's a challenge of the, uh, the auditory medium. Right, right. So, okay, Bayesian inference. This goes back all the way to episode zero when we started talking about Bayesian inference. And I've done all sorts of, I, I think episode 78 was Bayesian thinking. Um, what's the idea behind Bayesian inference? Do, do we still have the, uh, the Bayesian worksheet on the, on the yes. website? Yes, we do. We do. Um, so the idea Local is... Localmaximum.com? Yes. Uh, no. no. Localmaxradio. Ah. Localmaxradio.com. <laughs> Got to fix that. Uh, no, no, it's all right. Um, so the idea is that you have these pre-existing beliefs, and that's usually encoded as a probability distribution over what the state of the world is. Uh, you could think of a probability distribution as just assigning numbers to different things, and certain things are more likely and certain things are less likely. Then you have data coming in, and then you adjust your beliefs with the data. So it's actually pretty simple. Your beliefs before you got the information is called your prior before, and your beliefs after you got the information is called the posterior after. And it's like, okay, that is actually... That's a great way to solve a problem. In fact, to me, it is the mathematical codification of the scientific method. Uh, so it could be used for a real scientific problem. It could also be used for a much more casual problem. So I think it's a much broader than the scientific method. And it's actually one of the basis behind um, how we do machine learning or how we think about the, the theory behind machine learning. Um, but it's kind of weird because you're kind of starting out in the middle of the problem. It's like, I already have these preformed beliefs. So where do I get those from? Yeah, that, that, that's a classic question with, with uh, Bayesian yeah. thinking is where, where do priors come from? Right. And sometimes, uh, sometimes you actually have, sometimes it's the posterior of a previous problem. Sometimes you have kind of an intuition around it. Um, or sometimes we just make them up. Yeah, so that's called a, um, an uninformed prior. It's actually, there's, there's, a, there's a difference. There's something called an informed prior and an uninformed prior. And that's, um, now I'm becoming professor, Professor Sklar. The informed prior is what you get usually when it comes out of a previous problem, where you're actually tipping the scale somehow because you know that certain things are more likely or less likely based on previous data or based on experience or based on intuition, so all of those can so that to to, to give an yeah. example, uh, if if you provide a coin to flip, right. um, would it be given that I've never seen this particular coin before? Is it an informed prior that I say, well, a coin flip, it's got two sides, assuming it's a fair coin, uh, I would expect the results to go fifty fifty. Is that an informed prior, or or would I need to so, have actual data other than right. than that? that general knowledge well, to be quote unquote an informed. You're prior. talking about the weight of the coin. Um, you know, it, and so the question is, 
is the weight of the coin a uniform distribution between zero and one, all heads and all tails? Maybe it could be 10%, maybe it could be 20%, or maybe it could be any weight, but you're going to put a lot of probability on that 50% point because most coins are like that. But perhaps... um, you know, perhaps there's a small chance it's double-sided and small chances, uh, you know, it's some weird weight that's not 50%. But um, it would be reasonable to put a lot of weight on the 50%, especially if you got the coin randomly from your, your day-to-day excesses. And so even if you flip it eight times and it lands on heads eight times, you're still going to think that it's a fair coin because you haven't been sufficiently proven, you haven't sufficiently proven otherwise yet. Um, whereas if it's kind of a situation where it's some random process that produces a zero and a one, you might, you might do it differently. You might right. not play, place everything at 50%. So yes, yes. So, I, so, so even, even though I haven't technically you know, run a prior experiment that I'm right. getting the, this data from, that is still an informed prior. Right, right. Now let's say you have some process that produces a heads or a tails or a zero or a one. Um, and you don't know if it's a coin. and So it's a complete black box. Right, right. And you want to form a prior now, not on the weight of the coin, but on whether it's going to land heads or tails, or whether it's going to hand, land zero or one. In that case, I think that you are justified in using the principle of indifference and saying, I think it's equally likely it lands on heads as in tails. Because if you're going to say, well, there's a chance it's double-sided heads, then you have to say, well, there's an equal chance that it's double-sided tails. And so, especially, I mean, maybe actually with coins, there might be more that are double-sided one way or the other. We don't know. But I'm saying if it's just some general process that produces ones and zeros or, or produces two different items and you have no reason to distinguish between the two, then your prior over which one it's going to be uh, I think there's a very good case for making that 50-50. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but I think there's a very good case for that. So that's called the principle of indifference. It's a great principle. Problem is it doesn't <laughs> always quite work. There are some situations where it doesn't work. Um, and maybe we can go into them. They're kind of, they're a little bit mind-blowing. Um, one of them is the, uh, the famous random square. Sometimes it's a random cube, but I think the random square is easier. It's like, okay, I have a square with a certain side length um, of um, between zero and one. So it's big, if you have a square, this is not exactly square, but uh, if you have a unit square, each side is one, it's got an area of one. Um, and so I have some square that's smaller than the unit square, let's put it that way. Um, so then the question is, you know, what's the probability that uh, the side is greater than a half? If you have no, and you're like, okay, well, maybe it's 50-50 that's greater than half or less than a half. Certainly makes sense if we're we're using that principle of indifference. Yeah, on the other hand, you could say, well, what's the probability that the area is greater than a half? And again, you could say it's 50-50 because, you know, maybe, uh, you know, (laughs) the area is between zero and one. There's no reason why, you know, every square between every number between zero and one. Why would it not be a uniform distribution? Yeah. The problem is a uniform distribution over area and a uniform distribution over side length are two different distribution over the the squares. Those of us who are uh, astute uh, geometricians, uh, geometrists will have, will have noticed that there is a, uh, a relationship between the side length and area. uh, And it is not a, uh, it's not one to one, one to one ratio. It's not, not, it's actually, if you go by area, and you try to do a uniform distribution, it's going to be, it's going to uh, bias towards larger squares. Because I think a, um, uh, the, if something has a, an, an area of one half, that means it's going to be, I think, one over square root of two length, like 0. 0.707. So bigger square than, than, than 0. 0.5. So hopefully I got that right off the top of my head. So, well, and so, so not not exactly where you're going with this, but this yeah. gets to a a kind of a fundamental question of of doing good science is that the challenge is not always uh, you know the the process of of you know running your experiment. Uh, it's knowing what the right question to be asking is. Right? You know, should we be me- should we be basing our measurements on side length or area, which 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 informs us 
better in this scenario of looking right. at the square within a square. Uh, and and, and also, you could drive in very different directions depending on kind of which aspect of this you anchor on. Yeah. Now, also, the question is, does it change with the, uh, the way I asked the question? Because if you think I was kind of stumbling over asked the question, what if I asked you the question, hey, what's the probability that the side length will be greater than a half? Then you might thinking like, huh. This, this person is the person asking the question now is interested in side length. So side length must be the main variable. So maybe yeah. that's the one we should focus well, and, on. And presumably we've, we've laid out this problem such that right. the, the size of the square truly is random within, within that right. unit square. Uh, so, so it's not like a Heisenberg uncertainty principle thing where the moment we start thinking about side length, it changes the distribution. Right. Uh, no, no, no. I, I think it's just the question of random. It's like you have to ask what distribution, and there isn't a case that one distribution is truly the uninformed one. There could be several. And now, sometimes if you actually have a real-world problem where this is coming up, and, I, and I'll get to this in the second example, which is a more famous example, you could actually kind of tell uh, which one you should be using. So uh, the, the real-world example is, is the, a random chord on a circle. If you guys remember a circle, random chord is a line segment that connects two points in a circle. Now, a random point on the outside of a circle, I actually would say that there's no, uh, there's no dispute over what an uninformed prior should look like. It's actually um, really interestingly, because if you talk about like a random number between zero and one, I could actually dispute that maybe the the uniform distribution shouldn't be used. But with a circle, the most interesting thing about a circle, if I'm going to choose a random point in a circle, I I feel that there's really only one way to do that, which is like, you know, imagine if you color portions of the circle and like I cover, let's say I cover half the circle, I have a semicircle, and then on the other side I cover a quarter of a circle, then yes, it's going to be twice as likely to appear in the semicircle than it does in the quarter circle. Um, that, that seems fairly indisputable. Yeah. Right, right. Or, uh, right. It, now, again, these priors are interesting because the idea is you're going to gather data and you're going to adjust your distribution there. And a lot of times you could pick any one of these. And if you gather enough data, it all converges to a similar spot. Right. So, yeah. So g- given enough iterations, we, we will converge on what yeah. the true distribution is right uh regardless you know we we could we could run the same experiment twice using those two different uh uninformed uh uh priors uh and we we should eventually get to the same place right given enough iterations so the problem is with random a random chord in the circle well there are a couple ways to do it it's like okay pick two random points in the circle and connect them with a line that's we there's no dispute in how to pick a random point in the circle connect them with a line that's a random chord or you could say, pick a random spot inside the circle with uniform distribution, and then basically draw a radius to that point, and then the the chord uh, perpendicular to that is the chord. Okay. And another one is pick a random radius, pick a point in that radius, and then draw a chord that way. That all gives you a completely distribution, different distribution. That's the, the Bertrand paradox, which is um, very disturbing in some ways. Um, on the other ways, I think if this is actually a real world problem where for some reason you're trying to figure out, uh, I haven't run into a problem like this where it's like, I don't know what chord this is and I'm going to gather data to figure out what chord this is. I've never run into a problem like that. But if you did, I think you would know from the real world processes that are, that are producing this, which one to use, um, or you might have more insight into that. But in general, there's really no insight. So, so does this? I mean, I, I, I guess it must to a certain extent uh, apply in in like uh, in cryptanalysis and code breaking. So, in what in what sense? Well, oh, I'm, I'm 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 I guess the scenario I'm thinking is is you you've got uh, you you don't know what what the uh, what the initial message is. You know what the result is. Right. Uh, and and so and and you don't know what the mechanism they're using to do that transformation is. Uh, is is there a way that you can, uh, I, I guess, fundamentally by determining what the 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 the, the clear text is, what the original message is, that will unveil to you what the the mechanism for that transformation is. And so, so I'm to put that into the context of the chord, but by running your your 
iterating your Bayesian process on this, you'll find out what the actual distribution is, and that will reveal to yeah. you which of those three or four different methods for drawing the chord was likely used because they all have different distributions. Right, right. Well, but also it could be that um, if you think about it another way, like you can have a, um, if you're trying to break a code, right, you have a prior over what the code is. And there could be tons of codes. It's very complicated. We did in episode four, we did the permutations, right? Yep. We assumed every permutation was equally likely. That's possible. Um, but if you're in a situation where there are several ways to do it, well, first of all, it might not actually affect your answer because you might be gathering information and zeroing in on how you think that code was broken. And so even if your prior is a little different, it might not matter. But if you see it done a bunch of different ways, um, then you might get a sense of which prior is right. Or it could be some, you could actually create some informed prior if you have a lot of other examples. It might not be like if you have lots of people choosing chords, they might be choosing chords in ways that are not at all like those ran that are not random at all. Right. You know, and so <laughs> then your prior would be, be none of those or, or, you know, random, but not as completely uninformed random as we think. Well, yeah, that, that, that gets into a whole nother uh, topic that, yeah. that you know, per perhaps a future episode on, on, uh, what it, what is truly random? <laughs> right, right. And so I think I got into this: how much influence a bad prior can have. I have a few more examples, and then one example that's going to blow your mind about the uh, uniform distribution and why it could really screw up. Um, well, so, so so we 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 talked about how we're eventually yeah. will converge on on the correct. Uh, that's the distribution. That's the Bernstein theorem. Re the, the von Mises the Bernstein theorem. Yeah. Re regardless of of uh, what what prior we, we initially started with, when, what, what uninformed called. prior. Uh, but uh, is, is there a, a consensus or, or some yeah. sort of formula for you know, how many iterations does it take to escape the potentially faulty prior? That, that if, you, right. if you, uh, you, you chose poorly, uh, how many times do we have to go through, through uh, you know, priors to posteriors I think before we've, we've washed away that and, and we're, we're more or less on track? I think that's an interesting area of research. And I'm sure someone's looked at it. I don't know. I like usually also like if, 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 if your belief is here as my belief is here, theoretically, when things are working well, as we gather data, we come close to each other, but probably never quite meet. But, um, yeah, I, I forget what the, the term for that is, but there's, there's, yeah. That, that theory that when, when two, uh, two perfect Bayesians meet, uh, the end result will be that, that, uh, they, they agree on a, a final result that, yeah. uh, if, if they can't converge, then, then they're not really perfect. Well, Bayesians. Yeah. well, it's, it's, you get closer and closer without actually touching. I think in reality you end up touching because you end up settling on that's, that's uh, within Zeno's paradox in, uh, yeah. in action. Right. Yeah. But no, I think that, um, I, I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, but there's so many questions that, there's so many questions that you'd have to ask to even solve that question. I mean, like, what does it mean to converge? Yeah, and it's like, like what, I, I don't expect that there's a number that you'd be like, yeah, right. you need to run six iterations because I, if there is an answer, it would very much be some sort of formula. Yeah. Um, and also, on, like, on if you're variables. if you're close over here, is it the same as being close over here because the order of magnitude might be different? Or you yeah. know, there's, there's so many different questions. I guess what, why why I'd be particularly curious about that is is yeah. that you may be in a scenario where. Uh, you know, it's it's not a, a a lab experiment where we can iterate and iterate and iterate. You know, almost uh, infinitely. Uh, I, I I may be in some real world scenario where I I get I can only iterate on this like three times. Right. Uh, and so having a bad prior uh, could potentially be much more impactful. Um, I, I I guess getting yeah. a, a concept for you know how if 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 maybe I could run it a fourth time and right. that, and that it would be really expensive to me in terms of, of whatever uh, resource to run it that fourth time. But if that fourth time, if, if I think that that's going to, you know, going to be able to counteract a potentially bad prior, then it, it might be worth it, even if it's ex extremely expensive to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm not expecting I mean, you to have an answer there, but just where, where my mind was, was cranking to. I feel like there's a lot of research involved in that. A lot of, and, and it's not really covered in the textbooks and, a lot of times in the textbooks, this stuff is often thrown under the rug. Like, you ju we just got some priors for you. It's not that important. 
In reality, it could be important, especially if you're trying to explain a result and there's all this like foundational stuff in relation to your result. People start asking questions. You know, you want to have good answers for this. Um, so here's here's a good thought experiment. Uh, uh, not multidimensional. I'll get into that. Later. Two two things. First, the thought experiment. Okay, you want to know whether the next card is going to be I don't know. Pick two colors, uh, blue or red. Okay. And let's say I only have blue or red cards. Um, you know this, and so your distribution is your only one card is going to be picked. You're not doing a prior over the distribution of the deck, although you could. You're only doing the distribution of the top card. What would be your prior on what that top card should be? So I don't have any knowledge about how many cards there are on the deck and nope. how many red and blue. I just nope. know that they're that oh. you're going to draw a card and it's either going to be red or blue. Right, right. Uh, this is not hard. Not a trick question. Yet. I, I, I would presumably go with with a fifty fifty. That, that yes, you know it's it's uniform over those those two values. That's, right. That's my uninformed prior. It's pretty good. And also, if you. Um, if you made a prior over what the deck looks like, and that's going to be much more complicated because first of all, you, you don't know how many cards are in the deck and then you'd be like, okay, here's, here's a deck with, uh, let's say 52 cards. Here's a deck with all red, one blue, two blue, three blue, you go through the whole thing. And, uh, but you think that that would be more or less symmetrical and kind of whatever you come up with and kind of even out and get to 50-50, which is weird because you're like, I don't know exactly how I'd assign those, but I know that when I add them all up, it's going to be 50-50, which is another very strange thing that you get when you run through all these examples right. in your mind. Um, okay, so here's something else that happens. Let's say I'm like, okay, actually, the blue cards are just solid blue, but the red cards have this little circle in the middle, and that little circle could either be white or black. So now, what is your probability that the top card is blue versus red with a little white dot versus red with a little black dot. So I, I'm, I'm, and I'm smiling. I'm hearing this. Monty Hall uh, yeah. playing in the back of my head because my, my first instinct is to say, okay, well, so this is not a real problem. The, well, the, the difference between this problem and a problem like Monty Hall and a lot of problems that you're familiar with is this is not a math problem where there's an answer that, Coming up with a prior is a very different type of, of question where it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to find a baseline belief that kind of works. And so it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a lot more difficult. It's, I, I feel like sometimes people try to use the whole, oh, this is a, a word problem and I can calculate, do the algorithm and calculate the answer. It doesn't work as well here. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so This so should be blowing your mind be, back at home. Be, uh, but, because we've anchored already on, yes. on my 50-50 scenario right. of red versus blue, uh, then, then I, uh, what, what do we say? It's, there's solid blues and then the reds have the two yes. variants. Yes. So, so I, the, the one path is I keep blue at 50%. Right. And then I say there, that for red, there's 25% with the white dot and 25% with the black dot. Right. Alternatively, uh, I could throw out that, that prior because right. we, we we haven't used it. There's no no reason for me to 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 believe that more than than starting out completely uninformed, right? Um, and and do a, a one third one third one third distribution, right? Both answers are legitimate, and there's really no way to get. Now you don't quite have, uh, so one third one third one third is legitimate but you don't quite have principle of indifference because there's an analogy between the two red cards that don't exist with the blue card. So it kind of breaks, uh, uh, it, it breaks, um, it breaks indifference a little bit. And so you'd also be justified in trying to, um, move it around a little bit. Like you said, maybe it's 50, 25, 25, maybe it's a third, a third, a third, maybe it's somewhere in between. I don't know. Uh, all of that would be justified. And there's really no answer there. Now, all of this is, I think we've said it this in, in a previous thing, you don't want to make something close to zero. So you want to be kind of open to everything. And so in all of those cases, you're open to everything. And no matter what the information comes in. Now, normally we think you flip over the card and you get the whole information at once over what it is. But in a Bayesian problem, usually you somehow gather evidence very slowly as to what that top card is, which 
it's hard to kind of figure out how, what that would look like in this the, case. The, but yeah, the analogy breaks down a little yeah, bit there. Yeah. Or maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to show you the top card and there's like a 5% chance it's actually the top card and 95% chance is another card in the deck. And then if I keep doing that, you'll start to get a sense of what it might be. Uh, so, um, but yeah, all, all of those are justified and all of those would actually work um, if you gather that kind of information. So, but it's not satisfying, is it? <laughs> not satisfying at all. Perhaps this is why they don't teach that so much because uh, a, a test question where uh, there is no wrong answer and you just have to yeah. uh, give an explanation or maybe you don't even have to give an explanation uh, does, does, doesn't work very well in right. the uh, traditional model. Well, if you sign something zero or something with an order of magnitude that's unbelievably small, it's, it's, then it will break down if that's actually the right answer. But, uh, that, that actually makes me think of... But we, uh, we have to sign zeros <laughs> sometimes. This, this, this makes me think of Metaculus, uh, yeah. which I, I don't know if, if, if you've uh, been having this experience, but with uh, the new year, uh, a whole lot of predictions have been resolved. Uh, oh yeah, I got a few. I, fr- I don't remember which one um, I got, but so some someone uh, yeah, was was discussing. Uh, oh, wouldn't it be a cool feature if if you know if, after you've you've unlocked a certain level on Metaculus that it'll let you make a prediction of less than one percent? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I and and that's what I'm going to get to in a little bit. It's more of like an, an order of magnitude. Um, uh, situation. Oh, I, I remember um, what it was. It was it was specifically brought up in the context of. I, I don't think we've talked about this uh, even off the air. Yeah. Uh, but uh, is it a, a Chinese rover that's on the moon right now? I don't know. Um, and and I I think they they spotted something. Um, and. Uh, it, it was this this rectangular looking structure, and everyone was all excited. Like, what 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 could that be? On, on I, I could be messing this. Maybe it was even Mars. But you know, what what could that be? That 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 looks unnatural. What what could it possibly be? Is it is it signs of 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 aliens on 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 this extraterrestrial body? Uh, and so people were putting predict- predictions on it being something uh, not you know a a, a non non natural non organic uh, object, um, and uh, Spoiler alert! Uh, it turns out it was just a rock, yeah. uh, and and it was at such a distance that the the resolution was making it seem much uh, more pixelated and boxy than it than it actually is. Right. Uh, but uh, there there were a bunch of people who had put in predictions. By the way, I think one percent chance that it's that it's yeah. uh, that it's you know not uh, a natural occurring object, and they said, yeah, there's realistically, I think there's a much less than one percent chance. But, right. But the mechanism here doesn't allow me to put a lower uh, Bayesian problem. And notice, and we'll get to this in a little bit. You might want, uh, like, oh, you might want to do a tenth of a percent. But when you get to the middle of that point, you don't care if your prediction is 50% or 50.1%. So notice that this kind of resolution only matters on the, the small end of the sale yeah. or the big end of the scale. And that's very important. By the way, I got some points for Bitcoin prediction. Ah. Uh, so. Good on me for that. Fortunately, uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't trade on that uh, as well as, as I could have. Well, that, that is the big complaint but, about Metaculus yeah. is that there's there's no money riding yeah, yeah, yeah. on it, so people can. You know, we're we're playing for points that what, what is it the whose line is it anyway? Uh, yeah, we're, you know the, the the points don't matter. Right. Yeah. So um so so let's talk about the uniform distribution, which is people like okay, well, no one can dispute the uniform distribution. Like, if I want to pick a number between zero and one, and you know I have a a line segment in there that's a certain length, and I have another line segment in there that's, let's say, twice as big. It's going to be twice as likely to fit in the one that's twice as big than the one that's, that, that's less that big. That seems pretty reasonable, that's but uniform, I assume you're going to tell me why that isn't. Right, and it's re, it actually works on the circle, but it doesn't work on the line segment. Okay, so uniform distribution, right? Maybe it works on a, a line segment. Maybe it works on a square. Maybe it works on a cube, right? The sure. problem is... As you increase the number of dimensions, weird stuff starts to happen that makes you think, oh, uh, this is really bad, this uh, uniform distribution. And what ends up happening is, okay, so there's a hypercube, right, that is a n-dimensional cube. Now, don't start thinking of people of, um, of, of more than three dimensions. Hurt your brain. Don't try to do that. Or, or of that uh, uh, horror movie, Hypercube. Right, right, right. No, all you have to do for the hypercube is think, okay, um, I've got, uh, let's say I have 10 dimensions. What you have is 10 numbers between zero and one. That's it. All right. Now, 
the hypersphere is basically I square all them. Do they add up to one or not or, or, or less? Then they're inside the hypersphere, inside the hypercube. So in other words, there's a sense of if you're inside the hypersphere, you're kind of in the middle there where, you know, you're close to 50%. Or, you know, some, somewhere around there. You're close to the middle of the square, the middle of the cube, or the middle of the hypercube, or whatever. Um, that's, the, that's the circle, right? Okay. The problem is <laughs> that if you use the uniform distribution, eventually it becomes exceedingly, as the number of dimensions go up, it becomes exceedingly improbable if you use the uniform distribution that you're in one of those corners of the square outside the, and the problem is that (laughs) the big problem with that is that a lot of cases like the corners are where you find the solutions. And so you're essentially uh, shrinking that down to zero, um, which, which could be a big problem. So, and this is the case in probabilities too. You actually see a lot of probabilities that are close to zero percent or close to a hundred percent but you don't see a lot of probability. You see some probabilities that are 50, but you see a lot more time people saying 99%, 1%, 99.9%, something like that. So, and then as you get to hypercubes or hyper, um, or, or, um, or probability simplexes, which is a big topic on the website. That's the biggest <laughs> search that people come for the website for, which I don't, I was not going to try to explain, but and because it's such a big search for the website, maybe I'll do that on the, uh, on the, on the whiteboard someday. But yeah, um, if you use uniform distribution in multiple dimensions, you're actually removing uh, um, very important solutions that um, would be an exceedingly number, too so, high. So number. that raises the question. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of makes you, even if like the uniform distribution kind of works on a line segment, it kind of makes you think, huh, maybe that's not the most natural one. Well, so, so, the more the more dimensions, the less applicable the uniform distribution becomes. Right. How how do I know though that if if I'm looking at a two dimensional problem, how do I know that it's really just a two dimensional problem? That there's not a third, fourth, fifth, nth dimension that is applicable here, and I'm just not considering it. And mm. so it depends on what it should be coming into play, and and that's why the normal distribution doesn't work as well as it as, as yeah, I uniform. think it should here. Uh, you said normal, no, uniform. The uniform, excuse me. Uh, Very precise with the language here. <laughs> no, 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 there's a big difference. No, w- w- words mean things. Yeah. Uh, so so it, are, are, should I always be worried about phantom dimensions that I'm not considering that are making this, this inapplicable? Um, or? I think, I mean, it, it depends on, so this is your solution space. So it's whatever whatever that happens to be. Um, it. I think not. I think that it, it's it's not the fact that those dimensions exist or not. It's just the fact that um, it, it's kind of disturbing the fact that when you scale it up like that, that the uniform doesn't work, which then gives arguments for, hey, maybe the uniform distribution will still work on those small dimensions and you could use it, but maybe it's not the most natural way to go because if it doesn't, if it doesn't work over here, that if it doesn't work over here, and then it happens to work over here, maybe maybe there's an argument for it not being a natural. In fact, some people have used something called a beta distribution with um, for the uh, for the line segment, a random number between zero and one, with um, uh, with parameters half half. Basically, it's like a U shape, and so uh, a lot of um, a lot more, a little bit more probabilities towards the edges. It could still be in the middle. Um, and so that's kind of a distribution that is, uh, that that's often considered is that, does that scale up either? I don't know. That's, I think like the maximum entropy or something. I don't know, but, um, uh, or minimum entropy. I don't know. There, there's some, there, there's some kind of rule that gets you there. Well, I, I've not but done my reading on entropy. No, no, no. Yeah. We, we don't have to, we don't have to get into that right now, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, it's just, it's a little disturbing that not disturbing, but it's also like something to keep in mind. Like, Hey, uniform is not. Uh, is not a magic bullet. Well, it, it, um, it brings to mind um, less abstract, perhaps, but uh, some things in 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 physics. Um, you know, like when uh, 
look at, at Newtonian equations that, you know, that you could say, well, they, they apply, uh, to, to this part of, of the problem space. Uh, right. but, but if you move beyond this area, it, 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 it either, uh, I, I, I can't remember whether it, it kind of gracefully disintegrates or if it just completely falls apart once you cross a certain line there. Right. And, and so, yeah, it, it definitely raises questions about, you know, is, you know, if, if, if we can only use it in a in a very uh, in a prescribed subset of scenarios, uh, is it a universal uh, you know a, a a theory or approach here? Um, and and what else are we missing if if there are those limitations? Right, right. Um, another one that I've thought about, and again, this is just um, this is just my thoughts, is that if you're talking about a random number between zero and one, and I don't know the problem yet. Um, and maybe this is bringing some personal experience into this, so maybe it's informed, but it's still kind of uninformed because I really don't know what the problem is yet. I would think that I would put higher probability on solutions that are at kind of rational numbers with small ratios, like one half, one third, two thirds, zero and one, a quarter, a fifth. Uh, four fifths, something like that. Like I feel like now is is this because you suspect that a human is coming up with this value, uh, and and we're we're much more likely to pick kind of clean numbers. Physics too, um, natural well, and, yeah, and science I, too. There's a lot of natural, not all of them, but I'm saying like there are a lot of natural processes which um, are actually ratios of whole numbers, and that al- actually, although uh, you know. Pi would su- suggest. Uh, yeah, no, I'm that, not that saying is, that is a, a natural irrational value, right? But but uh, so first of all, I'm 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 saying this is a yes, yes. Yeah. you could actually have a scientific. Uh, it's not a mathematical question; a scientific method where the answer is pi because there's some circle in there. But um, well, and 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 then maybe maybe citing an exception does not disprove the right. validity of your approach. Maybe some here. maybe some ratio with pies with pies with pi. Like, now I'm uh, hungry. Yeah, like 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 uh, three over pi. Maybe that has a higher probability than some other rational number. Or one over e. Maybe has a higher rational. Maybe maybe has a, has some probability should be on there. So I'm just so yes. I think that there are some like there could be some very oddly shaped priors that you could make based on the fact that these particular ratios happen to come up more in nature. Uh, than, um, than, than, than others. And so that's kind of disturbing. Now you have a really strange kind of a, a, a prior there. Um, with, is, is there a name for that type of no, prior? No, I've never seen it. There's, there's not the, 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 the natural distribution? I've never seen it. Um, I've never seen it. It would be interesting uh, to try to come up with it. I feel like, you know, maybe it should be baseline. It, 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 it's also, then we get into the distinction between real numbers and or irrational numbers and rational numbers, which makes sense to a mathematician. But when you're talking about something in the natural world that you're measuring, there's really no distinction. Right. Or, or it, that gets, that, that could be, we could do a whole show on that. Well, and, and, and it, it makes me think, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, going to, to physicists and uh, if, if we ponder for a moment a, a universe other than ours where some of the fundamental constants of that universe are different, yeah. well, then, then that, uh, that distribution would also uh, presumably be, be altered as a result. If I'm looking at the ratio between two particles, I think there's a good chance it would be some rational number, actually. Yeah, and so that could be a good example. Like... Uh, like what would be my prior on and and to get it between zero and one, let's say I have particle type A and particle type B. And so uh, there are some weights, I don't know. And I'm, I'm looking at the probability over A over A plus B. So if you have the two particles together, uh, what percentage of that is A? And so that's how you get that on a, a, a line between zero and one. Yeah, I think that's a good example where I'd be like, there's a good chance it's a half. That means they're both equal. It's a good chance it's a third. There's a good chance it's a fourth. I actually don't think there's a good chance there's some pi in there. Um, but I, I think it might be some rational thing because we're talking about particles here in the quantum level. Yeah. So 
Uh, so that's actually a good, uh, you just thought of that as a good in a physics example where that would actually, that would probably be a very good prior. Maybe there is some irrational number that's um, the difference between these particles. I don't think that's what they find. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know physics enough. But uh, you, you might know more than me. But, I, but yes, I, I, I would have some weird... I, I, there is a weird prior I think you could make. But again, I think because they expect the priors... I don't even know if they're using Bayesian inference. Oh, physics probably almost certainly are. But because they expect it to rely on the data so much, maybe they don't bother to come up with this. Because well, again, as we said, uh, when, once you start actually running the process here, uh, yeah. you, you move away from that prior pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and it becomes less relevant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I think that's it for today. Uh, usually what I do... Oh, wow. We're over an hour. That's crazy. Could have divided this up into two episodes. <laughs> um, usually we try to come up with uh, a, a, a some kind of... A theme, a takeaway. A theme. Like what... What does John Stewart have to do with priors? Uh, well, no, his, his priors on on what the public <laughs> reaction were were going to be to the statements he made uh, certainly seem to be less accurate than than he would have liked. Right, right, and I also think the the prior of the audience in terms of is this a call for cancellation or a call for the lynch mob is very very high these days. Mm. And something to uh, something to keep in mind. Well, let's let's hope that uh, all parties involved have have updated their priors. Uh, that they've they've taken the posteriors and they're they're going to plug them into their next analysis. It, it's going to take it's going to take a long time, Aaron. But hopefully, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll help them through it here in the local maximum. All right, uh, that's all I've got for today. Uh, we call this closed. Got anything else? Calling it. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum. Sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power. 